big data scandals, climate change and Chinese wine. We're about to take a peek into our crystal ball to see what might happen in 2020 and we've got a high ranking panel to help us do so. Welcome to episode 43 of Sideload. Welcome to Sideload, the technology podcast from Edelman, London. I'm Jermaine Dallas and it's that time of year when we become Nostradamus for the day, or at least attempt to, and talk about our predictions for 2020. The Christmas tree is back in its box for another year and it's indeed time to assemble a learned panel of influencers, leaders and commentators for the Edelman Crystal Ball event. It took place on the 3rd of December at Edelman, London and on the podcast today we have the highlights. To introduce the panel we have news night's very own Kirsty War. We've got a great rowdy lot this morning, I'm very glad to see. Um, good morning and it's wonderful to see such a packed room. Welcome to those of you also joining us from various points around the world. Um, we're going to have conversation, we're going to have questions, um, we're going to have a great deal of fun. We may be actually drinking as well, I understand. Um, this is the annual, completely non-scientific look ahead to the big, the small, the good, the bad and the ugly things that may happen next year. As is traditional, we reflect on the accuracy and inaccuracy of a couple of last year's predictions. This morning, we're delighted to have with us four women have their ears to the ground, their eyes on the big shifts in personalities, their nose that can scent out the way the world is going to change and as for their mouths, they are an extremely articulate bunch. And of course, with them, Edelman's personal almanac, soothsayer and seer, Ed Williams. Now president and CEO, Edelman EMA, who started his career in newspaper and television journalism. Now to our panel. Uh, Dame Jane Angadia is one of the most clued up people in the universe about money, investing and business. She is CEO of UK and Ireland for Salesforce, tasked with leading the business through its next stage of growth. She sits on the government's Industrial Strategy Council and was named Leader of the Year last year at Lloyds Bank Awards. Sally Phillips, also known as Shazer, Bridget Jones' Dipso sidekick, is a huge comedic talent and her mantelpiece groans with awards for her work, including an Emmy. As a writer, actress, documentary maker, none of which employs her first class degree from Italian, which she gained from Oxford, she's been recognised by The Observer as one of the 50th funniest acts on the scene, but for today, she's number one equal with Aisha. Rachel Johnson is a journalist, author, the former editor of The Lady magazine, columnist, commentator, erstwhile politician. She joined the Liberal Democrats during the Brexit Farago. We are still during the Brexit Farago, which of course, absolutely, we are still in. And then stood in the European elections this year as a candidate for Change UK. She was also a participant in the 21st series of Celebrity Big Brother. Surprising, really, as she has one already. <laughs> Aisha, Hazari <laughs> Aisha Hazariki began her career as a civil servant at the DTI, but that wasn't a bundle of laughs. So she took a comedy course and started to do gigs alongside her day job. Then she made a handbrake turn, although some might say not, and spent eight years as a political advisor to MPs such as Harriet Harman and Ed Miliband. Now she is a commentator, columnist for the Scotsman and the Evening Standard, and is back on the comedy circuit. Please welcome our panel. 
Um, so I'm here to um, argue for the business agenda. And for me, one of the things that business needs to do and will do next year is to stand up more for what's right. Um, I think that business has been too important on the agenda to be as quiet as it has been around such big issues in our society. Um, we've all seen that CEOs have sat around the table in the US and talked about the need for business to um, be responsible to all of its stakeholders, not just its shareholders. And I think in the UK, it's really important that we, we move forward and do that. I think that that will come as a result of a real focus on diversity and equality. And I think it has to come next year. And I'm ever the optimist. I shall, I'm going to disagree with you on this point. I think that 2020 is going to be a year when we bring the country much closer together rather than further apart. And to do that, I think we have to make sure that gender equality and uh, diversity in all of its colours and differences comes together to make sure that we've got all voices being heard for unity rather than disunity, led by business, in society, with politicians. And I just add to that bit, my hope and prediction in this election, being an optimist, is that we're going to have new people that come into politics that really can be statespeople, take the lead, make a difference and speak for a new generation. I think that's really important. Um, and my final uh, prediction now that I've moved from the world of banking to technology is that the tech companies will be held to account and that the likes of Facebook and the likes of Google will be forced, required and uh, uh, subject to penalties if they are not transparent, managing data efficiently, paying tax properly and uh, being part of the debate rather than influencing the debate in a negative way. So positive technology, positive politics, equality for all and the intervention of business is what I hope and believe will happen in 2020. Jane Ann on the happy Whoa. pills. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I'll start with social media. Um, I think we're going to see the big... Uh, I think it's going to shatter. There are going to be loads more different uh, platforms. I think and we're going to see an intensification of the battle for control of social media. Mm -hmm. So I think Instagram are going to get rid of likes because they don't want influencers making loads of money through them. And um, so that's going to have to be rethought. I think uh, television is going to crumble even more. Um, Instagram TV is going to be the next big thing. You're going to have lots more interactive television, um, which is, uh, you can see beginning already, the whole, my, my kids spend all their time on TikTok, which was, I think, the fastest growing platform last year, and um, making their own videos. And they spend a whole day on Saturday making their own videos. And um, what else do I think about social media? Uh, yeah, pussycat girls, dolls are going to get back together. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree with you that we're going to try. They're going to try and um, get 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 more control, but I don't know how that's going to work. And I'm not optimistic about about taxes. Um, I'm going to talk about uh, the next big data scandal. I think is going to be with genome sequencing and for our DNA. Mm. Um, there's a big uh, big that we've seen in the Down syndrome community the advent of um, big biotechs into the population screening arena, producing completely immoral, not-for-profit uh, motives into an area that I believe shouldn't be uh, up for grabs. You see Matt Hancock a few... Oh, and they, they were just last week, the ASA upheld a complaint about the way the prenatal screen um, uh, NIPT has been advertised. It's been advertised with out-of-date stats and stuff to, to sell it more. 
Mac Hancock, uh, there has been um, an agenda by stealth to try and bring in whole genome sequencing for the whole of the UK, because obviously that's great for government. They can make um, health uh, decisions if they have their population. We have, if they have all our genomes on, on record, then they can budget accordingly, which I think is fine until you're outside the circle of, of norm, outside the utilitarian circle. So rare cancers and things like that are, gonna, are you know, a problem. And I think there's going to be a big, I think we're going to have some kind of skirmish here where this is, this is going to break, this story's going to break and people are going to start hopefully thinking more ethically about it. I mean, there's, there's evidence that whole genome sequencing does not improve health outcomes in the majority of cases. And what, every time you sign up for 23andMe, they sell on your data. So where that business model works is you pay to do the test, they sequence that, feed some back, but then anonymize, send your data on anonymized. And of course, we don't know what's anonymous now. We don't know that that's going to be anonymous in five years' time. So I, I predict that's going to be, again, a similar struggle for control in the same way as social media. And um, uh, in comedy, in TV, AI and VR are going to become much more mainstream. And we're going to see, um, particularly in sporting events, I think they're finally ready for use, virtual reality. And um, so 90% of Twitter will be chatbots talking to other chatbots. <laughs> hopefully. Um, <laughs> but you'll be able to try on your clothes, um, try on your clothes remotely and all of that. And while that's happening, again, a kind of dividing that luxury is going to be people. So um, we, see, we see that sort of pushing in two different directions, that while you get more and more high-tech ways of buying things <coughs> cheaply, people are going to like going to places. Um, Asian, Asian service is going to be a, a, a thing that people are looking for. My first prediction is that we are, I mean, I think this will probably be a good one for uh, shrinks in terms of business next year, but I think there's going to be a lot of anxiety with heads of strategy in businesses, in big companies. Why, you may ask? Well, the clue is the year. Next year is 2020, and we've all had Vision 2020, we've had Destination 2020 reports, we've had Better Future 2020, Foresight 2020, I mean, actually, even I've got a strategy here that's Edelman 2020. Um, and it was a, it, 2020 was brilliant because it sounded good if you're a strategy person. It's got a nice symmetry to it, and, you know, it's got, so it feels like the future. The problem is the future is here now. And so I think there are two problems for people in strategy. One is what the hell is the next date going to be because 2033 doesn't have that sort of same ring about it. Uh, uh, but moreover, we've all now got to report on our 2020 visions. And so I think that will keep people up at night, including myself. Um, my uh, second uh, prediction is really about sequels. And I think we can mostly agree that most sequels are terrible, right? Beverly Hills Cop 2, dreadful. Uh, Caddyshack 2, uh, diabolical. Second referendum. Second referendum 2. Uh, Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles, really not a brilliant sequel. Well, prepare yourself, I agree with Aisha, for Trump 2, because Trump 2 is going to be even worse than Trump 1. Now, uh, why, why is that? Uh, uh, point one, when he wins, he will be so emboldened and confident, and here is the affirmation that everything that was written about him was wrong. He was right all along. Right? So he's going to be super strong. This is the biggest rebuff to his critic. Secondly, um, he's running out of people who work for him. 
right? So there's literally, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm serious. There are, there are there, he is running out of people. There are fewer, yeah, there are still a, hundreds of people, yeah. uh, hundreds of positions in government still left unfilled. So there's not going to be advisors. Uh, and, and the third point is in your second term, you can be as bold as you yeah. like, because you're not yeah, worrying back. about coming back. So I think Trump two versus Trump one, I think is going to be quite wild, actually. Now, um, the, the third prediction um, is, I mean, it's sort of related to Trump, because I think clearly in the new year, you'll see an easing, easing and a loosening of the tariffs with China, mm -hmm. because you want the right economic conditions to run into, a, into an election. And I think that is going to be brilliant for my final prediction, which is 2020 is going to be the year of Chinese wine. Okay? Now, uh, I remember some years ago, I went to a, um, uh, I went to this uh, very, very long dinner in the Great Hall of the People in Beijing. And I was terribly grand, and they served Chinese red. It was called Red Wall. And um, I, pr I promise you, this is up to about 2008. And I was told by the official who I was sitting next to that uh, this wine came from the same latitude as the great Burgundies, and it had the same terroir, mm -hmm. and it was really rather good. I was not an enormously convinced. But that clearly was old world thinking from, you know, the sort of diminishing European power elite. The truth is, actually, Chinese wine has made a massive breakthrough. They're producing more wine, almost as much wine as Australia, it's the second largest wine market by value in the world, and they're producing great wine. They've just, I think they've won seven gold medals in the Decanter Awards this year. Uh, the judges said Chinese wine was the one to watch. There's a partnership with Domaine um, uh, Baron Rothschild. They've now produced something called Domaine Long Dai in Shandong province. It was described, that wine, as refined, restrained, polished, elegant, and... Very much like me. Uh, and uh, what I've got, actually, is Is here. it for sale in Sainsbury's? It is. So this is... <laughs> really? I've got... This is Moser 15, which is Chinese. Much better than Moser 14, by the way. I was less convinced by that one. Uh, but that was Moser 15. And um, have a look. Uh, and actually, I've got two glasses of it, Kirsty, oh, that I thought we would just try. Um, sorry, it's a bit of a stunt. Uh, but I am in public relations. Um, uh, so, um, <laughs> Oh, wait a minute. You want to minute. try first. Okay. No, wait, 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 wait. You don't know which is which. That's yeah, the point. Uh, right, so don't watch one. what you do here. There's one is French, one is Chinese. Oh, is that right? Yeah, one so is So that's French. the French one, that's the Chinese one. No. <laughs> the, no. Okay. Obviously. So, wine tasting. Wine tasting, okay? Right. So let's just have a. What do you think about the bouquet? I think this is the French one. But how do you know? Because I bet you're. Yeah, well, you do, uh, is it not? Well, try secretly. Or you just do it by smell. So I, I only have a Bloody French Mary at nine in the morning. <laughs> That's French. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Is that nicer? That's that both very I'll nice. hand them down the line if you want. <laughs> I think that That's Chinese on the right. The That's French on the left. That's what I thought. <laughs> now, who knew we'd be taking communion at nine in the morning? Oh, <laughs> I will, t I will. But how do you know? Well, oh, you've got what you it's thought. Yeah, it's, oh. it's, the, it's the red dot. Oh, I see that. <laughs> it's actually Chinese. Ah, the yes, red the one is Chinese. And the yellow, green one is French. Yeah. Got it right. Yes. Yeah. Got, got it right. Yeah, I got it right. You got it right yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you drink it? The yeah. Chinese? Yeah, there we go. Okay, no, fair enough. <laughs> so, 
Can I just say, my husband writes a wine column for the Lady magazine. Well, can he write about it? He can, you can I take, take it. A take it. No. Oh, that old trick. That old trick. <laughs> <laughs> my husband but writes a wine column for the Lady magazine. It's my legacy to him. Take a bottle of Moser 15. Uh, that's French. Yeah, you don't want that. Uh, I mean, well, you do. It's quite nice. Really. Uh, no, Fleur de Lis. Twelve ninety-nine. Thank you. Right. So sorry. I don't think so. Is, uh, That's it is that part of the kind of Chinese-American trade agreement? This is Chinese wine. Wrap it off for the best question. Well, could no. I think you should, I'm sure. looking forward to the review. There's lots yeah. more in the Edelman there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The two um, main pillars of good functioning democracies. One is mutual um, sort of respect for it, for each other. Uh, and the other is sort of institutional forbearance. Both have been completely smashed up. And when you look now at this current election, um, we're seeing more kind of disinformation and misinformation than I've ever seen. I mean, so the Fact Check UK issue, the fake websites, the bots that are being used, the, the, bar, the um, misleading bar charts, the conspiracy theories, and these are not with, from with, with the fan groups. These are from the parties but themselves. But with impunity, what it seems to me is that you, know, you can challenge politicians all you like about this stuff, but it's not sticking. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, but what tell me why that is happening, because that's going to happen more next year. Because, A, it's cheap to do. Right, if you go using micro-targeting and digital, mm -hmm. it's really cheap and it's extremely effective and you can bypass people like you on Newsnight because mm -hmm. you can just go direct and reinforce a particular point of view, worldview um, that your targets have. So this, I mean, it's really interesting to see that, the, as I say, fake websites, mm -hmm. you would normally, many of these tactics you would normally associate with uh, malign state actors. Mm -hmm not your own political parties. And it's not that there's one party yeah. at it, they're all doing it. Wh which, makes, which makes the attack, you know, the, the Russia thing, you know, it, it, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because you can, o you can only be as clean as you should be, but actually if you're attacking Russia for interference and you behave badly yourselves, then we are just one step behind. Yeah, no, I think Rachel. it's pretty impressive. What's interesting is I think people of integrity, there's going to be a, a moment next year where numerous people of integrity have breakdowns in public. So comedians don't like to come out of, don't like to be serious, really. But you're seeing this starting to happen. I, mean, I don't know if you'd, but I mean, yeah. So Sasha Baron Cohen, do you see his, his speech a few weeks ago? Armando Iannucci uh, is getting more and more political on, on social media. I think, you know, lots of, lots of people are just going to just, I, I think it's going to break and peop, some extraordinary people are going to stand, uh, are going to go into politics. Because they can uh, no and, then, and then a lot it. of politicians will just turn into comedians, because frankly that's... <laughs> well, I think we have done a swap. I do think we've done a swap, really. Yeah. Um, well, and so this is where my happy pills come from. I, I heard Barack Obama speak 10 days ago, and his point on this was that normal people have to take responsibility yeah. mm -hmm. for making the difference and taking leadership. Which means, and we, have I really scrub, think that which means we have to scrub their back history. Well, yeah. what, 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 what it means is that actually, I mean, the, 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 it's finding a place to be active and to be useful. And is it back to the old idea of a parish council? How do you get business can do that? People? Business can do way, that. Yeah, I think, other, I think back to to, to local yeah. local yeah. politics, definitely. Yeah. Questions in the audience. I, I'm very conscious that uh, we've got a lot of people here who must be absolutely itching to ask questions. <laughs> we need to give you some wine then. <laughs> <laughs> questions. Utilitarianism sprung a leak. Lots of leaks. Mm. Questions from the audience. There is yes. Hand over there. Up and hand here. Up. Okay, one here. Take you first, and then you please. Yes. Hi, I'm Alice. Um, picking up on Rachel's point on climate change, we've yeah. got two big summits at the end of the year, one 
in Glasgow and one in China on biodiversity. And are you optimistic or pessimistic that leaders, including the UK, are going to step up? Um, you know, it's going to be the most critical one since Paris in 2015. Are we going to see Cops. actual real yeah. commitments at the COP from business? COPs next year in Glasgow, yeah. yeah. From business, um, well, I can speak from my company, Salesforce, which is, uh, you know, Mark Benioff, who's the CEO there, is absolutely passionate about this agenda. He came over to have dinner with me six weeks ago. I, 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 eight weeks ago, joined the business, and I expected him to talk to me about what he wanted me to do. We had two minutes of what he wanted me to do and the rest of the dinner on climate change. And I think that, you know, responsible business has to be about this climate emergency. Yeah. So and we will invest in people and money in order to make a difference. So, so that, that's really interesting because on the kind of Greta Thunberg model, if you join a company, and I was actually going to ask Ed, Ed this anyway because he's doing EMA, is there a situation where business has to change the way it operates so you don't have to always be in the same room? You don't have to get to a meeting really, really fast. You don't have to get to a meeting at all because, you know, the, the carbon footprint, yep. uh, you know, for big business is bad and you should lead by example. I, I completely agree with that. And again, having moved from Virgin to Salesforce, you'd expect this to be the case. But I can now sort of at the touch of the button see people all around the world without them having to fly. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good quality conversation. We must do more of that. You it's have to free fly at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I do at the moment, but I'm doing quite a lot on the phone as well, actually, because you can video conferencing is actually um, rather, um, rather good now. I mean, I think the other the pressure is also going to come from employees. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that we've seen in a lot of our research over the last few years is the expectation of employees in terms of the business leaders who run the companies they work for. And, you know, uh, employees now will, you know, walk out if they think, actually, my company... There's, a, you know, there's a, they're, they're, they're not meeting some of these big social challenges, or they won't even work for you in the first place. So I think you're, hopefully, you're going to have a kind of top-down, bottom-up mm -hmm. that will meet before the tipping point. If I'm not mixing <laughs> metaphors there, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, because actually, you talk to a lot of people on climate who know what they're talking about, and they will tell you, do you know what? We're already po past mm -hmm. the point of no return in terms of. Uh, uh, yeah, methane um, coming out from the uh, uh, thawing uh, permafrost in Russia and so on and so <coughs> forth. So, I mean, God, I do hope something happens in the next year or so. Otherwise, I think it's pretty catastrophic. Um, put your hands up in here if your companies have actively had conversations about how you can all reduce your carbon footprint and work differently. Yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting, actually, probably about half. Um, question here. It's something I'd pick up that Sally said um, about uh, what on earth informed consent around mm -hmm. data mm -hmm. even begins to look like in society. Mm -hmm. It seems to me there's a, a fundamental misnomer when people talk about data being the new oil. I know what they mean. They mean there's money to be made. But when you frame something like that, you miss something fundamental about what Humanity. data is and the mm -hmm. way in which it's ripping apart social institutions from fake media to the deeply, deeply personal issues mm -hmm. around things like our own genome and our own mm -hmm. sense of self. So the question is, what on earth does informed consent begin to look like mm -hmm. in this space that we're entering into? Well, there's lots of debates about that. We don't, we don't have any answers yet. I mean, just as an advocate, we're just going, mm -hmm. it doesn't look like this. Um, yeah, we don't, we, yeah, and I think yeah, the fact that we don't, companies can change their policy at any time. So, um, yeah, I, I think that we need a much better conversation. I don't have the answer. We have a much better conversation about that. But uh, just in terms of scientists, uh, uh, in terms of genome, yeah. it's, it's hard to imagine a scientist that doesn't believe it is actual scientific progress to be able to sequence full genome. 
I mean, it's very hard to hold that back, isn't it? Yes. And but I think the, the question is what, what the state does with that information. Yes. Well, exactly. We look so at China now. There's a, the new thing last week that you can't get on your mobile phone until you've actually given ID. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, you might be drinking the wine, but you're being repressed even more. But also, you're being, you've, you've become a commodity. Uh, we, we are yeah. now a commodity. We are already a commodity. Anyone who's had the DNA screen during pregnancy, yeah. that, that takes maternal DNA and the of your, uh, DNA of your unborn child. And then the state has that information. So when you agree for them to, to screen you, they then keep those things. They say they anonymize it, but they do sell that information on. So Can you actually actively say, I withdraw, I withdraw my consent for anything to be done? It's very hard. It's very hard, and I don't know about here, they're further ahead in the, st in the States, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it was possible to then track your DNA sample mm -hmm. and remove your data from the, oh. but it was really difficult. Jen. I, I think that whoever's Prime Minister after this election, there needs to be some thought, this might sound a simple point, around DCMS. I don't understand why digital culture and media is all in one place. Surely we have to have somebody that's leading the digital agenda as a, an overall point within uh, our government. I think that's super mm. important. And speaking very personally, not in my Salesforce capacity, although I think they'd probably agree, um, I do think that we have to get to regulation at some point. Mm. Mm. I, do, I do think that on, on the positive side of data, I think there is going to be a shift <coughs> at some point, whether it's next year or the year after, in which actually you're going to start having control and power over your own data and being able to monetize it yourself. I mean, there's a bunch of startups already that have products that, that in, in effect, keep all the data that you create when you're at home on laptops and iPads and stuff, and it keeps, with, it keeps within the home. So it's not actually leaching out and being bulk collect, collected. But I, do the, I think the future in which you own the data and you can determine whether you're going to monetize it or not it's not far away, I And, and, th that's, and the state, that's the state actor business, isn't it? It's, it's okay, perhaps, for you to say that in the, in the case of a democracy, sure. or maybe not. But in places which are not democratic, no. the use of that data is beyond your control entirely. Absolutely. I feel like we need a... I, I mean, I, I hope there's some massive cultural, philosophical revolution mm. where we stop um, buying into the idea that we are sets, that we are data sets. Yeah. Mm. That we, uh, I mean, uh, you can feel this coming up, mm. this... Um, you know, push from mindfulness and all the rest of it, that people uh, are having enough of the fact that they're being defined by mm -hmm. a series of codes. Final one from Facebook before I uh, hand over to Ed. What is next for Netflix and TV streaming? Sally. I think Britbox is going to struggle with no mm. original content. Yep. What about Apple? They, they've only got their own yeah, original content. But there's going to be more, more and more platforms. They're getting yeah. more specialised. Yep. So uh, there'll probably be a David Mitchell-only TV channel. Not <laughs> 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 no bad thing. I think we're going to see Netflix continuing to be represented yes. at the Oscars. I think it's Parasite, a Netflix film. Does anyone know? I think Parasite... Well, the Irishman um, is. Yeah, so I think uh, yeah they're going to continue their march mm. towards success. Ed? Um, I th what's interesting, I mean, Claire Enders will be quite interesting on this question as well. I mean, a lot of the data I've seen is that we're at peak wallet for the s yeah. that actually yeah. we've got so many of these things that we're paying for now that the idea that you're going to add another service on top of what you're already paying for, thankfully Claire's nodding at this one, that's good. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Is I think will prove quite difficult for these yeah. new entrants because they're coming to it quite late. What is interesting, because I talked at the um, uh, RTS in Cambridge on this um, uh, a month or so ago, is when you know in, in the past the public broadcasters had this incredible position of 
trust with the nation. They had this uh, sort of vaulted position, at least 20 points higher levels of trust than main commercial uh, uh, and, and satellite broadcasters. Netflix now is as trusted as the BBC. Yes, so is. Okay? Uh, it's as trusted as the BBC. Although yet, that's, not quite, that's not hard right now. No, well, I, uh, yeah, of course, unlike the, Sorry, B, uh, unlike the BBC, Netflix doesn't have to cater, it doesn't have no, a kind of universality to, no. principle that has no. to create something for everybody. Netflix can absolutely zero in on the most uh, profitable yeah. audiences, which, which is what they're going to do. I think what Ed said is the key word, actually, for ne me next year is going to be trust, yeah. because we've had a complete breakdown in trust between voters and politicians and mm. and manifestos and results and nobody's costed or audited them as even Nigel Farage said I'm not going to do a manifesto I'm going to call it a contract with the people because they're not worth the paper trust is going to be mm. the lodestone if that's the right word of next year mm. for everybody mm. when the Times newspaper wins newspaper of the year it, it sometimes doesn't even put that at the top it puts Reuters calls us the most trusted paper. Mm. It's going to be the, the gold mm -hmm. standard for everybody because there's been an absolute collapse in yeah. trust ev everywhere across the board. That is a wonderful place, thank you very much, to hand over to Ed to close this morning's proceedings. So, uh, thanks very much, Kirsty. And I, honestly, I didn't pay Rachel uh, to just say that because, of course, <laughs> net what I'm going to br very briefly <laughs> talk about is trust. Uh, because uh, next year, in January, we will be launching what will be the 20th year of our global study into trust in institutions, in into government, trust in government, in media, business, and in NGOs. And we've been at it for 20 years, so there's this extraordinarily rich data set we've got. And as you describe this crisis of trust, I mean, we, see, we absolutely see it in the, in the, the data. So um, really all I want to do is close by, um, you know, alerting you to that fact. So look out for more from us in January on this topic. Uh, I think we'll have another event uh, around uh, probably in the second half of January. Um, we had Tony Blair come to speak this year on, on the issue. Um, we'll have some new guests uh, next year. Uh, but other than that, just to thank Kirsty, who is, uh, this is Kirsty's sixth year of doing this. You are absolutely brilliant, and you completely make it. Of course, all the panelists are marvellous as, as well. Uh, uh, of course. But I really, uh, and the wine as well, but thank you very much, Kirsty, and thank you, everyone else. listening to the highlights from the Edelman Crystal Ball event on Sideload. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, just search Edelman UK. And if you want to get in touch, send an email to sideload at edelman.com. But before we go, how about we listen to a quick clip from the last episode of Sideload when we talked all about female superheroes and AI. Whenever anybody hears a study that has to do with you know, demographics, immediately they're like, oh, you must have segmented your audience by men versus women. We, in fact, did not do that, which is, I think, why our approach was so effective. So we took a uh, psychological-led approach. So 
There is a uh, school of computational social science called psychometrics and behavioral science where we can actually quantify somebody's psychological attributes such as why they are motivated to engage with the content that they love. What are the characters that they're motivated to engage with and, and how do they interact as a result of, of their love for the fandom. So we used a, a certain psychometric and behavioral models to identify what were the core drivers causing people to interact with particular types of content or particular experiences. And through that, we were actually able to identify that there was actually, A, that there are female superhero fans of superhero movies, shocking. Uh, Who'd have thought? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Crazy idea. Um, and that they are actually quite valuable. We were able to quantify that. Um, but what we found is that they interact very differently from men. And I think when people think of superhero fans, they automatically assume it's, we're talking about fanboys who are on Reddit, having a massive debate, and they're total geeks. But that's not the superhero fandom. Superheroes are the modern version of Greek mythology, essentially, yeah. if you think about it. It's attributes we aspire to have in ourselves. And it's a very powerful motivating force in that regard.